Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we find ourselves today in the book of Isaiah, my son-in-law's namesake. And in this context, Israel was distanced from the confidence of their home in Jerusalem. They were actually under the duress of a foreign power, namely the Babylonian Empire. And like Israel, sometimes we can feel that we are distanced from the various things that we find comfort and value and identity in. With the trifecta of the world, the flesh, and the devil that come into our lives, we can find ourselves under duress like Israel did. Whether it be financial, political, or social duress, as I talked about a few weeks ago, the reality of the church today, we are under duress. And they are basically telling us that Christianity in the Western world is dying, that we will be, soon enough, a dinosaur. Not only that, the children of Israel are also under the threat of the invasion from other nations beside the Babylonian Empire, where there was constant potential for war. And so there are circumstances even in our own lives where we can feel like they were potentially besieged, weary of the simple fact that we find ourselves on the precipice of some area in our lives where there's constant insecurity, where you think there's going to be something that kind of comes in and wars against the very things that bring comfort and safety and security. And then thirdly, the children of Israel here in this context were just guilty. They were guilty of the simple fact that they had walked away from their one true love. And they had given themselves over to other idols. And as a result, in this context, God is actually bringing judgment and punishment upon his people. And so we find ourselves even like that at times in circumstances where they may be our fault. Where as a result of something we've done, there's certain duress that is in our own lives. Or potentially something that someone else did, but that we're dealing with the consequence because these children here weren't always the ones who actually did the things that their forefathers did. They were just simply paying for some of the things that they had done in the past. And it is in the midst of all of these things, you have your own personal Babylons. Even we as the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century are living literally in a modern day Babylon. We find ourselves in a building campaign. And we're trying to raise $1.5 million. And the question is, is what for? What for? Why are we doing this? And before I answer that question, I want to answer this. What posture are we as the church to take as we forge ahead? There's a posture that we can see from this text that God wants each one of us to don as we move into the unknown. And then we will answer the question, why are we doing this in the first place? If you have your Bibles, if you have them, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah 43, starting at verse 14, Isaiah 43, 14, and when you get there, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's word, Isaiah chapter 43 is in the Old Testament, toward the middle of your Bible, chapter 43, verse 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, 
They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and ostriches, for which, for I give water in the wilderness, river in the deserts, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Thus ends the reading of the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of the living God. God, we just come before you right now. And God, we ask that your word would meet us right where it's needed most right now. That is a work, Holy Spirit of God, that only you can do. Will you grant that grace for us as a body together, as well as, Lord God, individually? And God, I stand before you here with just five loaves and two fish, asking that you would multiply far beyond what my feeble efforts can obtain. And so, God, I come. Spirit of the living God, you are present. Grant us the grace to be present with you. And will you spark, Lord God, far more abundantly in this time together than we could even ask or think. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit we ask it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So what is the posture As we're ending this series and as we're moving into this campaign, what is the posture that we are to take? We see in verse 18, chapter 43, God says to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Everybody say new thing. Now it springs forth. The posture that the prophet is telling the children of Israel to take is that they are to find themselves in a place where God is going to prove himself to be their deliverer and demonstrate a new thing. Now in verse 14, we see that he identifies what that new thing is. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. For I am the Lord, the Holy One. So here he tells them and he defines the new thing that he's going to do. He tells them ultimately that he is going to come alongside them by using other forces to bring down this Babylonian empire. And the Chaldeans there is interpreted really as that's kind of what they are, is they came in their ships and they took the children of Israel over and they rejoiced and celebrated over taking over this little nation. And yet God is saying they are going to end up being fugitives. Now, in verse 18, if you go back there, he says, remember not the former things. So now he's preparing them for how he's ultimately going to rout these people. 
the Babylonians. And he tells them this, don't look to the former things. You see, the children of Israel here and in their history have constantly looked to God for his salvation. And in this context here, it's talking about the salvation of the Exodus. And they were afraid and scared about their present situation, and they were hoping that God would do another sea-splitting miracle. But here God tells them, I'm going to do something different. And they were using the Exodus as, if you will, a straitjacket into which they were forcing all of the other movements of God in their lives into that one paradigm. And as a result, if they were looking for God to split the sea like he did in the past, then they would have ultimately missed him and his deliverance. It's kind of like when Moses struck the rock. You see, the children of Israel needed water, and so God told him to strike the rock. But then they were complaining again, and they didn't have any water. And so what did Moses do? He struck the rock again. But the question was, did God tell him to strike the rock? He didn't tell him to strike the rock. God intended to do something in a different way in order to help quench their thirst. And as a result, Moses missed it, and he missed out on the promised land. Children of Israel throughout their history were constantly looking for a certain paradigm. God has to deliver me in this way, and I'm going to look for him to deliver me in this way. And that's what it even says in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Well, why didn't they receive him? Because they didn't imagine that God would deliver them by making a little baby in a womb through a virgin who would die on a cross. And as a result, God did it in a new way, verse 19, and they missed his movement. You see, we believe that through this building campaign, God is going to do a new thing. He's going to do something different for us as a church. And even in your life right now, you might find situations and circumstances where you're looking to God to be your deliverer whether it be financial, whether it be physical, whether it be your heart, whether it be your mind, whether it be circumstantial, whatever it might be. And and you've seen God move in the past. You've seen, verse 18, the former things, the way he split the seas in your life. But the challenge can become is, is as you're constantly looking for God in the present to be your deliverer, we fall into a couple of traps. One of those traps is we can look at the other people's past Exodus stories. You ever look at other people's past Exodus stories? And you kind of wish that, that you had their Exodus? That, that you wish you, you, you kind of envied the way God kind of met them and, and, and provided for them and, and did a miracle in their life? And, and you don't see the same thing being reciprocated by God in your life? Where there have been that area of loneliness and all of a sudden you've been looking for a spouse for all this time and it's your friend that got one and not you. Or whether it's that financial burden that, that you've been carrying, that you'll obviously hear that your, your friend got blessed, but yet you're still in that same financial place. Whether it be that relationship that's just totally tarnished and destroyed in your life, and God's restored this person's relationship over here, but, but yours is still in shambles. Whether it be that addiction, or, or that parental challenge, or, or that marital struggle, whatever it is may be for you. Sometimes we can look at how God parted the sea in other people's lives and wonder why he's not parting the sea in our life in the same way. 
And so as a result, we can miss God. But then there's another trap as well. You can look at your past Exodus events and wonder why God isn't doing the same thing in your present. You see, these are the former things. Verse 15, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, the Creator of of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army, warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. He's describing the former thing there. And what's verses 15 through 17 a description of? It is a description of the Exodus. That is exactly what happened in the Exodus, right? He made a path, verse 16, in the mighty waters. He brought forth chariots and horses and armies and warriors, right? Pharaoh's armies and his chariots went through the water. They lied down, they cannot rise, and he extinguished them like a wick. Now, the reason I bring that up is when you're reading it, and even in some translations, it's written in the past tense. But in the Hebrew, and wonderfully in the ESV, you notice he's talking about a past event in the present. Who makes a way presently in the sea, a path to the mighty waters. Who brings forth chariots, present tense, armies, horses. They lie down right now, present tense. The governing verbs... In verses 15 through 17 are all present. Why? Why? Because here's what God is trying to get Israel to do. And this is what he tries to get us to do. He wants us to get our eyes off of the ways in which God worked in the past and keep our eyes on the God who is and was present in the past and will be present now. Stop looking at the way God delivered you and start looking at the God who did deliver you. Get your eyes off of the miraculous events and put your eyes on the God who is the miraculous event. Because sometimes when we look at the way God delivered us in the past, we start to put God in a box. And instead of sea-splitting prophets like they did, like, like he did in the past with Moses, God might be trying to come into our situation as a church through this building campaign. He might be trying to come through your situation right now in your life in a way that's not C-splitting. But God is still present in it. And what's interesting here is that Isaiah, God actually tells Isaiah how he's going to do it. And it's not going to be through a C-splitting event. And sometimes we want to see all pomp and circumstance, right? We want to see God blowing stuff up, exploding things, parting seas, miracles, the winds are blowing, and chariots are falling all over the place and all this other good stuff, right? And that's kind of how we want to see God step in. And even with this building campaign, sometimes that's what we want to think how God is going to step in, right? Is it $21 million is just going to drop on the—I'm not saying we need $21 million. I'm just saying. We're really only trying to— raise 1.5 million, but you know, somebody's going to walk through there with a $1.5 million check, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and this is miracles happening up in here, right? Right? That's how we want God to deliver. Well, how did God deliver this way? If you look at chapter 44, just one chapter over, verse 28, he says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. 
saying, of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundations shall be laid. Well, who's Cyrus? Cyrus was from the Persian Empire. He was the king of Persia. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were in Babylon right now. And who's the king of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. Before they are even brought into exile under Nebuchadnezzar, this is, this is why the Bible is the word of God. This is why, like, the scriptures, it gives me chills that this is the word of the living God. Do you realize in chapter 44, verse 28, before there was even a Cyrus, God named him and said, he is going to be the individual that is going to bring my people out of exile and rebuild the temple, which is exactly what he did. If you read it in, in uh, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, if you read the way Cyrus actually comes alongside the children of Israel, he gives them resources to actually, and tells them, y'all get out. I don't know why, but something's telling me to give you everything you need so you, Nehemiah, and the children of Israel can take all of my resources from the Persian Empire and rebuild the kingdom. And he tells them that he's going to do that. But wait a minute, we got to deal with Nebuchadnezzar first. Well, over time, that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar got thrown over by the Persian Empire. And Cyrus came in and took over, and he let God's people go. Now, that wasn't C-splitting. That wasn't $1.5 million walking through the door. That wasn't chariots getting toppled over and so, and so forth. But see, the children of Israel, in their discouragement, could have been looking at Babylon and then just seeing all of the circumstances that were happening and then found themselves discouraged at now Nebuchadnezzar is gone, now we're under King Cyrus, and now we're another ruler that we're under, not realizing that it was being under Cyrus that God was going to do the miracle through that. God used a pagan king to deliver and not see splitting miracles. You see, when God is not moving in your present the way you expect based on the past, you'll start to do what the children of Israel did and grumble and complain. You'll start to lose faith. You'll close your Bible. You'll stop praying. You'll start taking matters into your own hands in your present situation. Because King Cyrus comes knocking on your doorstep. And when you open the door, you see King Cyrus. And then you look at him and say, who are you and what are you doing on my doorstep? I'm looking for Moses. And you slam the door and you walk away. And God is saying, I was right there on the doorstep. I wasn't with Cyrus. I wasn't with Moses. I was in Cyrus. I want you to remember all the ways that God has delivered you. Every one of you in here has a story to tell. I'm sure if I could sit down with you over breakfast or lunch or dinner, you could tell me your C-splitting events. The way God did miraculous things in times when you needed deliverance. Those things were designed for a purpose and for a reason. And in the same way, a few weeks ago, I too shared with you guys some C-splitting former things. 
verse 18. I share with you about how God took us as a little old church and from the living room of Pastor James's parents and created Living Way Church. It has now been flourishing for now almost 23 years. No church planning agenda, no church planning training, just a few college students, some high school, and now here we are 23 years later. I told you about how God in his grace supplied our church with a place where we could meet for free, rent-free. And that was the impetus that allowed for me to come alongside Pastor James in co-leadership, full-time, where I could actually be salaried for the first time in my life in pastoral ministry. Man, what a former wonderful thing. I told you guys about our new home, and I told you that story about how we were living in Compton. We knew God had called us as a church to be out here, and we asked ourselves, how do you go from Compton to Pasadena? How are we going to afford that? And through a whole bunch of sea-splitting crazy things, which I talked about a few weeks ago, God in his grace now has us here in a home in Altadena. When I think about the Yims and how comfortable they were in, in La Mirada and how God, just one step at a time, just provided for the things that Jackson, Micaiah, Addie, Piper, and their children needed. They found a home that they were able to afford in Pasadena, and they uprooted their family and moved out here. And God has rooted them in a place where now they're flourishing in his grace. You see, these are all former things. And the temptation can be for us as a church during this campaign to root ourselves in the former things, the sea-splitting exodus moments. And I believe in the same way that God was telling Israel in verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing, I believe he's saying the same thing to us today as a church. Because see, the former things are designed for us to do one thing, look up. The former things are designed for us to see the God in the former things so that we can root ourselves in who he is so that when the challenges come, as we step into a new arena of what God is calling us to, we can be confident in the God who was the former things. We don't have to look at how he did it. All we have to know is that he did it. And because he did it, he will continue to do it. And so we can look forward to the new ways that God is going to demonstrate more of who he is through this building campaign to us. Because ultimately, that's what matters in it all. It's not so much what God does, but it's seeing the God who does it. The God who does it is our treasure. 
It's seeing the wonder and the beauty and the power and the majesty and the mercy and the love and all of those stories that I told you about last couple weeks about how God came to do all of these things for the Cosley family, for the Yim family, for the family of Living Way. You know what all of those things do? They help us to see how wonderful and faithful God is. And it grows us deeper more in our love and commitment and devotion to him. You see, here's the reality, church. In your present situation right now, and in the life of our church, there's always a new thing right around the corner for those who belong to Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. And I don't know if you remember when I preached on that, that word he is able is a bad translation. It's dunamis. It means he is going to exhibit his power to do far more abundantly than you could even ask or think. The Bible tells us for you as a believer in Christ, his grace and mercy is following you how many days of your life? All. Everybody say all. There isn't a day that God's mercy, and then even in the Hebrew, that text means it's chasing you down. So God's mercy and his grace is chasing you down every single day of your life, which is why I can say God is always around the corner in your situation ready to do a new thing. And why is he chasing you down? Why can we be assured as a church in this campaign that God is doing a new thing? It's because verses 14 and 15, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them down, all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One. Everybody say your Holy One. The creator of Israel, your king. Everybody say your king. You see, the reason why I can tell you right now that through this campaign, God is chasing us down. The reason I can tell you in those areas where you need deliverance, that God is chasing you down, is not just because he's redeemer. He says that he's your redeemer. It's not just the fact that he's holy. It's that he's your holy one, verse 15. 15. Namely, God has set himself apart to you in your present situation. But he's not just king. The text says he's your king, which means that for us as a church in Pasadena, in this land, he is going to apply all of his authority that he possesses in heaven on earth to reign down in this new season of our life as a church in this ministry. Because he has all authority. He owns the whole city of Pasadena, Altadena, Eagle Rock, Los Angeles, every single state in the United States, every single continent in this world, it all belongs to him. And in other words, what he's telling us in verses 14 and 15 is that because I am your redeemer, because I am your holy one, personal, I am your creator, I am your king, I will be on display in those ways, in new ways, in your life and as the life of this church. And as we attempt and as you attempt to try to be faithful to where God has you and where we're trying to be faithful as a church, God is going to be our redeemer in the midst of it. 
He's not just a redeemer. He's our redeemer. He's not just going to be holy. He's going to be holy to us. He's not holy to everyone else outside of the church like he is to us. He's going to be your king, which means he's going to use all of his benevolent rule in the midst of our journey together as a church and your journey in your life to apply all of his authority for the good and for the glory of his name. Now the question becomes is, why? Why is God going to do all those wonderful things as we forge ahead? And I want to be clear here. When I say a new thing, the whole point that God was trying to do with Israel in doing a new thing is so that they would see more depths of who God was. And so when I say a new thing, this building campaign, I want you to know this is what it's about. It's about us coming to see and know more of who the wonder of our God is, period. And here's the reality. Whether we get a stupid building or not, that is guaranteed for us as the church. He is faithful to do new things because he wants us to see more of who he is as God. And so why does God move in new ways? And we see it in verse 10 of chapter 43. You are my witnesses declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses. Or I say witnesses, declares the Lord God, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Notice in verse 10, we begin to understand the why of his new ways that he's going to perform for the children of Israel, verse 19. And it is this, because when he does his new ways, we become greater witnesses of the God that we've witnessed in the past. Verse 10, he says, you are my what? Witnesses. And then there's a parallel declares the Lord and my servant. So if I could write it out, you'd have witnesses here, and right underneath it, you'd have servant. And there's a synonymous parallelism there. Thus, basically what God is saying is, the calling of a servant of God, if you're a servant of Jesus Christ today, then the calling that you have as a servant of God is to bear witness of the power, majesty, wonder, and the uniqueness of who God is as a witness. That's what it looks like to serve God, is to witness of the reality of who he is. 
Now, this meaning is further amplified by the purpose clause there in verse 10. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. Now, it's interesting that it is not said here first that they were chosen so that others might know he is God. Pay attention to that. Notice he doesn't say first that they might know others may know that I'm God. See, to do so would go ahead of the process. Others are to know God, but only after the people of God themselves have come to know him first. You see, you got to know before you can tell somebody else. And so verse 11 and 12, he says, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses. There he says it again, declares the Lord, I am God. So verse 10, he starts with saying, you are my witnesses. Verse 12, he ends almost bookend with saying, you are my witnesses. And verses 11 and 12 is, now I'm going to show you what it means for me to be the God that I am. There is no other God like me. And why is there other no God like me? Because I am a God who saves. Verse 11. There's no Savior like me. And then, verse 13, he gives another picture of who he is. And he says, all henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. In a series from verses 10 to verse 13, there are these dramatic assertions that God declares about first, his absolute sovereignty, verse 13. Second, his absolute saviorhood, verses 11 and 12. And then third, his absolute knowledge of the future, verse 12. In short, he is basically telling the children of Israel, you are my witnesses of the reality that I am absolute, that there is none like me, that I am over the entire cosmos, that I am unlimited, that I am unyielding, and at the same time, I am unfailing for those who love me. And why should Israel doubt that God is going to deliver them and do a new thing? Because they have not come to understand the first thing, which is the fact that God is all these things for them, and they've seen it already in the past. And if they step into who God is, what they've seen in the past, they will know and be confident about the future. And that's exactly where we are as a church. See, why does God constantly move in new ways? Here's why. So that you and I can be witnesses to the reality that there was no one like our God. God is committed. God is committed in your life to continue to act in new miraculous ways. Are you ready for your miracle? No, I'm dead serious. We live in this Western world, and I don't, under, I don't think we understand the God that we have in us and who's for us. Like I said, I'm done with that. I've been telling y'all some of the stories I've been having. I'm, 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 I'm sleeping at night, and God's telling me stuff like, this one doesn't come out by, but by, fear, uh, but by uh, fasting and prayer. And I'm like, dude, God just, I think that was God. And then the next day I tell my wife, 
that I just had this dream about somebody close to my family that they need to be praying for that I think we need to fast and pray. And she looks at me and she says, you know what, Ray, I was walking to the door and I heard that same thing. I got a witness. We have got to start to step into the fact that he is unlimited, unyielding, and unfailing. And so we don't have to doubt the fact that God is going to, for our church, through this campaign, we're going to see deliverances. I don't know what those are. I don't know what he's going to have to deliver us from, but every day your walk in Christ is a deliverance. God, by his nature, is a savior. That's what he does. And so if you're not stepping in or walking into that salvation, maybe it's because you're looking at the former things and expecting God to do it this way, and he's been doing it this way, and you're so frustrated that you're still in the Babylonian empire, Cyrus done showed up at your door, and you're like, no, thank you, I'm good. And God is saying, you just missed the miracle. God is telling them, y'all had a witness. And it's that same phrase in verse 10 where Jesus uses Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses. That's exactly where Jesus got it from. He got it from Isaiah. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, maybe we get it twisted when we think we're evangelism and we hear the word witness. Witness is just declaring what you've seen. What does it mean to witness? Witness is I saw something with my eye. It's kind of like the man in John chapter 9 who had been blind from birth. Nobody had to tell him the, the nine spiritual laws or this is how you preach the gospel or you need to make sure you include sin and, and death and you know, all the other stuff that we be trying to, you know, when I evangelize people, I'm like, I've got to make sure I get to you're a sinner, Christ is a savior, died, rose. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going through all the things, make sure I, I got to get, but when I'm looking at the gospels, People just testify to the reality of what they experienced in God. In John chapter 9, dude born blind, born blind. And he starts proclaiming the gospel and doesn't even realize it. Why? Because all I'm telling you is what I've seen. And he even gets frustrated with the Pharisees. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But this is what I'm telling y'all. This is what I now see, blind dude. I see that he made me see. So I don't know what you want to call him. I don't, want you, I don't know who you think he is, who you should say that I think he is. I'm just telling you what I saw. He wasn't worried about the consequences. He didn't even realize what he was doing. Did he get persecuted for it? He, he didn't even realize. I'm just telling you what I saw. And they kicked him out the synagogue. First John, chapter 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, this is John, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, and was made manifest to us. See, the disciples had a witness. God came in, and he did a new thing. He did a verse 19, chapter 43. The Pharisees missed it, but some of them saw it. And they saw that God's doing something different, but it's still sea splitting. It's even greater than, than the Exodus. It's even greater than splitting the sea and having Pharaoh and chariots go through. It's just a little baby. He looks like he's just, there's nothing about him. He's not really popular. He's not really attractive. He doesn't have an army. He's not got soldiers, but he comes in and he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's, 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 he's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's forgiving sins. And they saw it. And they saw it. They saw the draped in flesh, who was also divine, the God in flesh in a moment in time. They saw the true vine, the bread of life, the creator of time. They walked with Jesus, the man who could silence the intellectual religious elite, a Messiah who loved the outcast, the poor, the scum on the streets. They walked with sinless perfection, power mixed with compassion, a heart that welled up with love. They saw God in flesh from above, and when they saw God in flesh from the gut, they had to tell somebody. You see, and here's the reality. You want to reason why we want to do all of this? You want to know why we want to do this campaign? It's not because we want to have a nice, shiny building. I hate buildings. I have a house. Buildings suck. We don't need more building. But you, want to know what, you know what we want to do? We want to create an environment and a situation where we can have more witnesses of what God has done in and through this church, in and through the lives of people in this church, so we can go tell somebody. Come on. You ever wonder in the black church what I say, can I get a witness? All right, that used to terrify me as a kid. Because I'm just saying, I know, like, you had to be ready in the, in the black church. Because the pastor will point you out. And don't be new. You think it's scary standing up and just say, you know, they, people greeting you. Like, we, we took that out. It makes people uncomfortable when you make newcomers stand up. And, oh, welcome. We're not going to do that anymore. No. If you were new, they'd be like, do you got a testimony? <laughs> when you go to the black church, you better have a sermon ready. You better have something ready to say. But, and you'd be there for five hours. <laughs> but what was the point? It's not like they had to get up there and tell the whole four spiritual laws. The, in the black church, this week, did you see Jesus in some way? And can you tell us? Can you just tell us? And then somebody get up. I saw him. I saw him when, when I just was so discouraged. And I was doubting whether or not God loved me. And then you know what? Somebody came up and they just told me, I just want you to know I was thinking about you and I just thought you needed to know that God loved you. And so I'm here as a witness. God saw me, little old me, when I was so discouraged down and out. Can I get a witness? And then somebody else, yeah, I, I got a witness. I couldn't pay my bills. And all of a sudden I called my creditor. And my creditor, for some reason, said, you know what? I don't even know who you are. 
Come on now, hallelujah. Somebody shout up in here. And then I hung up the phone. Praise the Lord. I'm not asking no more questions. I got a witness. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Anybody else got a witness up in here? You see what I'm saying? God does constant new things, chapter 43, verse 19. He's always doing new ways of deliverance every day of your life in Christ. Every day you got a story to tell me about God's salvation in some way, shape, or form. I can tell you right now. And if you don't, then you need to sit down and just meditate and slow down. Because we all got a witness. And so what this campaign is about is about us stepping into a season where we feel like God is telling us, I'm about to do some new things. So that we can turn around and say, we got more of a witness. And it roots us more deeply in his love, care, and grace toward us. See, when I, when I survey my life, I can truly say that there is no one like my God. Can you? Because see, there's no Savior like our Savior. The world's saviors just won't do. You know it, and I know it too. The affirmations that you're looking to to bring you salvation can't save you like Jesus can. The applause that you believe is just going to fill you up that you need from this person or that can't save you like Jesus can. The success that you think if I just get here, it's going to ultimately fill that void. It can't save you like Jesus can. The money that you're looking to for that security, for that safety, for that, for that value, it can't save you like Jesus can. That relationship won't save you like Jesus can. That best life now won't save you like Jesus can. A new spouse won't save you like Jesus can. Freedom from your financial troubles can't save you like Jesus can. The unforgiveness and bitterness that you're holding on to can't save you like Jesus can. The new circumstances that you feel that if I get this, then I'll be better, it can't save you like Jesus can. That's why I love that gospel song. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise. It makes me want to shout. Who has a shout today? Who has a shout today? Who has a witness? There's no God like our God. There's no Savior like our Savior. And God is going to do whatever he had, can in our lives for us to be able to make that declaration. And that's exciting. We will not, after God is done with us, be able to say there's a better God than he is. So what God is saying in Isaiah chapter 43 to Israel and to us is that he's going to give you something to shout about. 
So we want to go beyond the building. And the reason why we want to go beyond the building is because we want to give witness to the wonder and the beauty and the splendor and the honor and the glory of who our God is. We want to maybe start a school as a church so that we can be a witness to other kids maybe in that community. I'm not saying we're going to do this, but these are the visions and the, and the desires that we have, the dreams that we have as a church. Just imagine just where the educational system is today, that Living Way could have its own school. And in having its own school, we could bring under our church auspices the next generation that could come to see and know the living God and not be poisoned by all the things that we find in our present day secular education. If we get a new building, we could, we could center ourselves right there and maybe adopt the park that's just down the street. Imagine all of us just committing to go to that park. Right, we go and we have our games there. We play softball there. The moms bring their kids there. And you begin to rub shoulders with the other individuals that are in the neighborhood there. And you don't have to know the four spiritual laws or you can just know John 3.16. Or you know what? You can just tell that mom that you're sitting with about the witness that Jesus was for you that day that she may need to hear, that he may need to hear. It's just about being a witness. And we want to be in a position in a place where we can just tell somebody about how Jesus is our wonder. Just imagine if we could adopt a school, an elementary school, a middle school, a high school in the area, and we could just be present. Because here's the reality. If you're present, you're going to be a witness if Jesus is in you. What if we could have VBS, Vacation Bible School? We could invite all of the neighboring kids to come during the summer because we have the facility and be able to be a witness and tell them there is no one like our God. Imagine being able to start businesses, having think tanks, a ministry for inner healing where people could come on a Wednesday night or a Friday night. People who are dealing with deep, dark areas of just emotional, physical, mental trauma. What if we could have something through Living Way where, where we can invite people in the neighborhood and, and surrounding our friends to come in and actually experience a process of just inner healing? Just imagine we could have a, our own marriage conference and invite others in the community. Or what about a singles meet and greet? I've had singles talk to me about that. Some of y'all may not like that. Some of y'all might. But I bet we have had singles ask, hey, can we have a meet and greet? Or what if we had our own facility? We can invite other churches to come in. What if we could have a pregnancy clinic? Maybe one of those portable ones that just drive by, and we could tell them, you can camp out in our parking lot. And we could watch the girls come and get ultrasounds. And we can be a witness. I know you guys know that we bought, I don't know if you know, we bought five ultrasounds. Um, and it was close to about $100,000. Uh, the church matched half, and then our congregation purchased five. Well, we met with uh, the director of Preborn, 
And he sat down with us and he told us where our five ultrasound machines went. And they put them in places where there was the highest, some of the highest rates of abortion. Two of them in Cali, one in New York, and I forgot the other places. But then he gave us a statistic. And he said, because you, Living Way, purchased five ultrasound machines, they will last for 10 years. And in that 10 years, you guys will have saved alone 75,000 75,000 babies. That's almost the size of some cities. And then he even said, and there will be hundreds probably of people who will come to the Lord just because of those ultrasound machines. You see, the reason why we're doing this is because of the things I just shared. I don't care about anything else. Pastor James doesn't care about anything else. We don't have some suspicious agenda for any of this. We just want to be more of a witness as a church. We want a place where we can declare even more the former things. That people might see that there is no one like our God. And I forget a church in Paramount that committed to their city. And I remember they started buying up properties in the area. And the demographic was changing, but they chose to stay. They were predominantly white, and the demographic was black and Latino, and they said, we're going to stay. And they started buying up properties in the city. And uh, they started doing some of the things that I kind of talked about. And I'll never forget when I went to their church, in about five-block radius of the people that had kind of purchased homes, they just started taking over that area. And it was the strangest thing. I drove in, and as I drove in, I saw children on the lawns throwing footballs and, and baseballs. I saw people outside on rocking chairs on their porches. I saw people talking and interacting on the street. I saw people walking on the street. Now, if you don't know it, Paramount is a neighboring city to Compton. And so what I saw, you just don't see in Paramount and Compton. But they went in there out of a desire and a vision to be a witness. And God used them. And as a result, it was almost like a small slice of heaven. I could feel the presence of the Spirit of God surrounding that area because God's people had saturated it. What if we did something like that to it? And here's what's, what should humble us to the ground is to think of the reality that God rests his godhood on us as witnesses should slam you to the ground. That God would entrust who he is and the proclamation of the wonder of who he is to you and me. Fallible, crooked, imperfect, and yet he puts the privilege of witness in our hands. 
and entrust us with it. At least for me, when I saw that, it moved the call to be a witness beyond obligation and duty to privilege. God is self-sufficient in and of himself. If he want everybody to know that I am God and there is no other, oh, he can do quite a good job of that. But he reserves that now for us. Wow. Really, Jesus? You're letting me be a witness to you? The unparalleled God? What a privilege. And that's what we want to step into as a church. So I'm asking you, do you have a witness? I end with this illustration. Um, There's a new family in our church, uh, Tom and Jen. And um, they just have recently become a part of the Living Way community. And they met at a church 20 years ago, and they had been at that same church in the Bay Area for 20 years since college. They met there, they married there, had children there. And it came a point where they felt like the Lord was calling them to find a new church. And they were looking for an area where God would just bring some balance into their own discipleship to Jesus. Well, Jen um, actually was under Pastor James's tutelage when she was in high school. So this was years and years and years ago. And they came out to visit here to the L.A. area. They came for a wedding. And um, when they were visiting, they um, were driving to the wedding. And they started talking about what it would look like if maybe we made Living Way our church home. Now, they're in the Bay Area, and they're here talking about the fact that maybe we should make Living Way our home. And so it felt like maybe God was calling them to that. They said when they came to the service, just the ambiance. They just felt the spirit of God in this place. And there was a part of it where they just felt like God is here. And this is a place where we can actually root ourselves and find the kind of community that we've been longing for that we just can't find right now in the Bay Area. And so they had lunch with Pastor James and Jean, and they began to share this vision of just beyond the building, about how our desire is to be a missional church, but how our desire is to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who have yet to see. How we're a church who takes the word of God seriously and our faith seriously. And they walked away from that time and they just said, you know what? We really feel like Living Way is a place where we can grow, where we can pour ourselves out and where we can be poured into all the same. They sensed God in that moment doing a new thing. And then God gave them something to give witness about. They started praying about it. Getting a house here, as I explained to you, my story was a challenge. And so they began to look. And one of their criterion was, we need to find a house that has a large enough of a living room so that we can host and have people present and be and mingle with God's people. And we need to have enough bedroom space for our growing family. 
And so they began to look, and they found a home. And the moment they found that home, they found themselves having challenges with financing that home. The lender was giving them problems, all these other issues. And the owner basically said, you guys have one week to figure this out. And if you can't figure this out, you're not moving on. And so they got to praying. They got to praying. And uh, our trusty sister Peggy was helpful along the way. You guys know what I'm talking about, Peggy. Peggy is our resident realtor. If you ever need somebody, I got you, Peg. I'm plugging for you, girl. And similar to even our story, in one week, God lined everything. This is unheard of. You know how the process goes with purchasing homes. You know how lenders are. You know how all of this drama. One week, God lined everything up. Boom, 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 boom. And they said, we got a witness. Oh, we can tell you, we got a witness. And when I was talking to him yesterday about it, boy, I could just hear, I could hear the witness in him. That made, made, made me want to shout. I started getting goosebumps. They didn't have to tell the four spiritual laws. And all. I just, I knew they saw Jesus, and I wanted to see some of what they saw. I wanted to encounter some of the power that they encountered. And they said, and so we bought the house. And then we thought we would come to church and kind of just get ourselves kind of filled up, kind of be on the sidelines a little bit, because they were knee-deep invested in their other church. And so he said, for, for a little while, we kind of stayed on the sidelines. We enjoyed God kind of pouring into us. But then I got a phone call. Rev. If you guys know Rev, Rev is our executive pastor. Well, Rev called Tom and Jim. He said, would you guys be open to being small group leaders? And both Tom and Jim said, that's when we realized in that moment, God reminded us why did I give you this home in one week? Why did I give you that living room the size that it is? Why did I give you just what you needed? Because I needed you to be a witness to others and bring them into that space. And so now they're hosting one of our small groups in Altadena. And the group is just a wonderful group. They are just enjoying God together. And it was just a testimony for me as I just heard their story. I ask you the same. Do you not see that God wants to do a new thing here at Living Way? Again, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to define it. That is for God and God alone. But when I tell you the story about how God worked so hard to get me and my family here, sold the house in two weeks, Gangsters on, on the doorstep in Compton. All of a sudden, we got a house in Altadena. And I'm looking at God saying, God, you really did work really, really hard to get us to Altadena. God, what are you doing? I'm doing a new thing. When I look at the way God has moved in Pastor James and Jean's life, when I hear about the stories about the way God is doing things in lives like Tom and Jim, God clearly wants to do something here. And I don't know what that is. We don't know what that is, but this campaign is about us stepping into the fact that we're looking at the former things, and we know that there's something on the horizon for us as a church, and we want to be in a position for it. And maybe God may be calling some of you guys that as well. You might be looking at it and being like, man, there's no way I could move here. And I don't want to put any pressure because the reality is the vision that we have for this church 
is designed for every single small group in every single area that you guys find yourselves around this area. We're going we to put some stuff together by the grace of God. It's, it's, we, it's, by his grace, we got a vision. It's, it's, it's some years away, but we believe that God's going to do some things. But maybe God may be impressing upon you like Jen and Tom and just wanted you to pray about it. Would God might have you come closer into this area? Might God give you a witness and do a miracle far beyond what you could have imagined, thought, or hoped? I just want to encourage you to pray into that. But also I want you to encourage you to pray into what does it look like for you to step into this vision of a gospel-revealing missional community that we want to be here. That God is, 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 is going to be calling each one of you in some way to give toward this. And Pastor James pointed out a passage to me that just I didn't get to, get to look at in Exodus. But it just talked about how when, when God gave the people of Israel a building campaign, it was called the tabernacle. You look in Exodus, it says that the people came and they gave overflowing. They gave so much that Moses was like, y'all got to stop. And the reason why is because they had witnessed the wonder and the beauty of God, and they knew that it was through the tabernacle that they were going to get more of God. And this, if this is how I'm going to get more of God, then I can live open-handed because God is all that I need anyway. And so my question is, are you ready? In this new land where we find ourselves in Eagle Rock, Pasadena, are you ready for God to do a new thing? Because if you're part of this church and you're part of our journey, it's not just that he's doing a new thing through Living Way Corporate. He's going to do a new thing in your life through this ministry. He's going to do something new in your marriage, in your singleness, in your calling. He's going to do something new in your sicknesses right now. He's going to do something new in your family. He's going to do something new in your disappointments. He's going to do something new in your failures. He's going to do something new in your strained relationships. He's going to do something new in your desires and passions. My question is, are you ready? Are you ready in this land where we find ourselves as a church for God to mess up some of our uh, theology, for God to mature us in ways that we could have never imagined? Are you ready right now for him to reveal himself in ways that you could have never hoped for? And he's going to use you on a level that you could have never dreamed. Are you ready to bury yourself in what is constant? That no matter what happens, no matter where things go, no matter how successful we are, whether we, we, we raise one penny or five million dollars, are you ready for the simple fact that through it all, God is going to be Redeemer? That he's going to be the Holy One? That he's going to be your creator? That he's going to be your king? Because it's not going to be ministry as usual in this land because God is going to do a new thing. Are you ready? No matter where you are, Babylonian desert or Egyptian sea, God is going to demonstrate to you right now where you are just how much that he is God and there is no other. And so I'm asking you, are you ready? And this is not a promise for a trouble-free, are you ready? Because see, at the very beginning of chapter 43, verse 1, he says, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. You know what that's telling Israel? There's going to be some water. There's going to be some rivers. There's going to be some floods. There's going to be some fires. 
And so while we expect that in our life as a church going forward into this campaign, but here's the one guarantee that roots us and anchors us. He's going to be with us in every single one of those. And so I want to encourage you. Know that wherever you find yourself, God is with you. And he's going to prove himself to you all over and over again for us as a church and for you in your own personal life, wherever you find it. Because God is committed and dedicated to remind you time and time again that there is no one like your God. Let's pray. God, will you do the ministry that only you can? Help us to see and know that there is no one like you. And God, we entrust this building campaign to you. We entrust this vision to you. And we pray and we ask, God, will you grant us the grace to see the new thing that you're going to do through this? Whatever it looks like, it may be a total failure in our eyes. But God, in that, there will be a witness. God, grant us the grace of the church not to miss it. In Jesus' name, amen.